Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers in the house today. I am so excited and honored for what I think God wants to do in our midst today. He has been speaking something to me, honestly, for weeks now. I've been talking about, and I had a couple weeks off. I think the team is thrilled that it's Mother's Day, mainly for the fact that they can stop hearing about the idea and the thought and what God has been speaking to me about this message. They're like, finally, she just actually gets to tell everyone about it because I believe today God wants to minister to the heart of some women today. I believe today is a day for some people to come home for him, for some people to lay down some heavy burdens at his feet. I think it is gonna be a beautiful Mother's Day. But real quick, I wanna say how amazing has it been to hear from my mama this morning, to get to hear from Pastor Kathy. I wanna honor her this morning. We celebrate you and my grandma Gamble who is here this morning as well. And my grandma Pitts who watches online every single week. One of the things that the older I get, the more grateful I'm for and the more that I feel is the beauty of coming from a lineage of praying women. What a beautiful thing. I don't know how many things have been saved, have been held together simply by the fact that there were some praying women in a house. How many children have come home? How many accidents have been aborted, avoided? How many babies have been born? How many situations have been held together by the prayers of some women? Amen, church. Amen. So let's just say a huge happy Mother's Day to all of the women in the house by a big round of applause. We want you to know that we celebrate you in all of the different forms and ways that you mother and that you care for our community and our city and that you raise others. You are incredible women. Amen. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for the gift of mothers in our lives and in our house and in this house, God. And I ask you to speak through me, God, what I believe that I've heard. Let it be clear. Let it move our hearts today. God, I thank you. Thank you that heavy burdens are going to be laid down today. We bless your name. Amen, Jesus. Amen, amen. Amen, church. Hey, you can put a pin, a peg, a finger, however you like to hold your place in the book of Exodus, as well as in John chapter four, because we're going to go to both of those locations today. And I believe we're going to just have an incredible time if you enjoy using a paper Bible. So I am like dead set on a paper Bible. I still can't totally get on a digital Bible. I know there's like, it sh should be like the next great debate. If you don't have a Bible with you, our team is going to have scriptures up here on the screen. It's going to be awesome. You can track along. If you're online, they're going to put it up there for you. But there's something to me about just holding a Bible. So you can put your fingers in Exodus and in the book of John. 
As we think about Mother's Day, as I've been thinking about Mother's Day, I think about, of course, the idea of when you get a group of women into a room together. It doesn't take very long until that group of women, you can almost set your clock by it, are going to start telling birth stories. It's not going to take very long until they're going to start telling you the story of how they came to be a mother, whether it was through birth or whether they adopted a child or whether they mother somebody who's next to them. And if you put a pregnant woman in that room, you can divide that time by half. They are going to be getting to those stories. And, and it seems like it's just part of our I think that birthing stories are our war stories. There are stories of how we made it through, and there are stories of how we overcame. There are stories that connect so many of us, and there is something that is essential and unique to womanhood, that there's something about when women get together that they just have to tell some birth stories. When Phil and I were pregnant with our firstborn, we went to birthing classes like so many of you have done for your first child or have heard of done. And so we go into these classes because we figure we better get some tips and some tools on what's getting ready to happen. And as part of the very first class, they sit you all in this room and they do a little introduction. And as an introductory note, they show you a video of a live birth. And we're in the middle of that video. It starts wrapping up. And my husband turns and looks at me and he says, did you know that was going to happen? <laughs> and I was like, yes. What did you think was getting ready to happen? I am very aware of what is getting ready to happen right now. Because there's something along the way women just pick up. The stories of birth. We know details about who gave birth at home and who had a planned C-section and who had an emergency C-section and what the difference of all of those things are and what, what happens in a natural birth and what happens in a water birth and who had medication and whose baby was breached and whose baby was right side up. And God forbid if a man tries to give us the details of somebody's birth and they're like, well, a woman was pregnant, and the baby was on the inside, and then it was on the outside. <laughs> Baby's here now. And we're like, I have 18 more questions at least about what, how, how big was the baby? How's mom doing? Did she have to go in for an emergency? How's her heart rate? How's the baby's heart rate? Do you know if they let her do immediate skin to skin? Do you know if they did delayed clamping or if they clamped immediately? Do you know if they're in the hospital for later, or if they've sent her home already? Does she have a midwife coming to her? Has she seen a lactation consultant? Do you know if they went in quick or if it came out slow? Was she in labor for days or was she in labor for a short amount? of time did the doctor come there when she was ready to push or was the doctor too late and did she have to I have so I didn't even plan those those are just the questions that I have when I find out because it is the story of who we are and all of us got here somehow or some way through a birth story somewhere along the way whether your relationship with that initial mother is positive or not, there is a woman who brought you into the earth. They are the stories of births. And scripture is filled with the stories of women and the birth and the children that they 
bring into the world, and it's scattered with a variety of the ways and the types. Whether you think about women like Rebecca, who had twin boys who were at each other from the womb, or Leah, who had multiples on multiples of babies, or her sister Rachel, who couldn't seem to have a baby for anything and had to sit there and watch her sister keep having them, or Hannah, who cried out to God so desperately for a baby that the priest thought she might be drunk because she longed for that baby so much. Or the story of women like Sarah and Elizabeth who thought they were past their time and yet still a baby was given to them and they brought it into the world. And of course we cannot forget women like Mary who believed God. Women like Mary who went into labor on a road trip. The most famous, well-known story of a woman bringing life into the earth and of birthing a baby has to be the story of Mary birthing the baby Jesus. They are the stories of who we are. And I think coming up in a close second when we think about stories of babies being born in the Bible has to be the story of Moses and his mother, Jacobed. This baby Moses who would grow up to be the deliverer of people who would part waters and who would strike a rock and bring water from it, who would give us the laws and the Ten Commandments. This Moses started out like everybody else as a baby. And when Moses came into the earth, he came into the earth at a turbulent moment. He came into the earth when hostility surrounded the situation of his birth and death and destruction was all around him. He came into the earth in a moment where it seemed like all of the odds were stacked against him. But he had a mother. In fact, he had more than a mother. The story of Moses' birth is the story of women on a rescue mission together. The story of Moses' birth is the story of how women in their different roles and in their different places and in their different positions worked together to see a rescue mission come to pass. I want to talk to you today from the topic of a rescue mission. If you want to turn with me to the book of Exodus, we're going to start in chapter 1. Starting in chapter 1, we're going to jump through this a little bit because there are actually five groups of women in their place, doing what they've been called to do, standing in the role that God has called them to, who work in tandem together to rescue on this great rescue mission. Starting in verse 1 and chapter 15, it says, and then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children 
live. The first group of women that were required for this rescue mission is the midwives who came in to partner with the women who were giving birth. These two women who were called to be midwives are women who did not have children of their own. They had not given birth of their own. And because they did not have children of their own, they were positioned to be those who stood alongside women in their in their most critical moment, who stood alongside other women when they were in a position of bringing something into life and bringing something into the world in the moment where the thing that was on the inside of a woman was coming out and coming into the living life of creation. These women were the women who were called to partner alongside of them and to stand with them in their most vulnerable moment. And the king, because he was intimidated by the growth of the Hebrew children told the midwives, I want you, if there are any male children born, I want you to kill those children immediately. And only the daughters can live because he was trying to thwart the growth and the development and the identity of the Hebrew people. And he knew if I can attack the young boys and if I can remove them from the situation that I can attack the identity and the culture and the history and the growth and the development of who these people are. And I love the way the scripture lays it out because the midwives don't miss a beat. It says he told them to kill the children, but they feared God and they wouldn't do it. There wasn't even a, a scripture in between of, but they thought about their own lives, but they thought about the risk that it was, but they wondered if they should follow through with it, but they wondered if this was an option. They wondered how they, nope, it just says these women had something in them that caused them to have a greater fear of who God was than of anything that this authority or that this power could do against them. And these courageous women turn and it says but they let the children live they let the boys live because they had courage and because they believed and they trusted in God because they knew that God who was faithful would continue to walk with them in every moment and in every situation look at the beginning of chapter 2 because then it says now a man from the house of Levi went and took a Levite woman and the woman conceived and bore a son and she saw that he was a fine child and she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with the bitmen and the pitch and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the riverbank. And I want us to pause there. This woman's name is Jochebed. We learn her name later in the book of Exodus. This is the mother of Moses. The king puts out another edict because he sees he cannot manipulate the midwives in the way that he wants. And he tells everyone, any male child is supposed to be killed. But this woman takes her child. She's a woman with a plan and she hides him for three months. For three months, she takes him and she hides him away and he continues to grow and he continues to be strengthened and she continues to nourish him and she works her plan for him. Jacobed is a woman with a plan. Because anyone who's had a baby for any length of time knows about 
three months starts rolling around and you think around three months, I don't know what everyone was making a big deal for because uh, this parenting thing is not so hard after all. The kid pretty much sleeps and eats and it hasn't been so bad. But about three months, that baby is ready to gear up to another level. And it says when that baby starts gearing up to another level, Jacobet figures out the plan that I'm working right now is not the plan that's going to work for the next season. And so she concocts a new plan. What I want you to hear is that Jacobet was a woman with a plan, but the fact that she has a plan doesn't mean she knows every step along the way. It means that she knows her next right move. And one move at a time, she makes a plan for what do I do now? And one move at a time, she makes a plan for God, what is going to happen right now? And it says after she hid the baby as long as she could, she puts together a basket and she, and she fills that basket so that it can float. And she places the baby in the basket and she goes and she takes, this is a woman with a plan. I know you've watched too much Prince of Egypt. She did not send this baby down the river of the rushing, rolling rivers, hoping that it doesn't get eaten by crocodiles. In the movies, it's always like she ships him off and says a prayer that hopefully this is going to be enough for him with the soundtrack rolling. And it's like, whoosh, here goes Moses. Hope he makes it. This is a woman, she's hit her baby for three months. You think she's just like, hope the crocodiles don't get him. Now it says she put him in a basket and she takes him. And look at what it says. It says she placed him in the reeds. She placed him in an intentional spot, in an intentional position. She knew exactly what she was positioning this boy for. I believe that she knew exactly who came to bathe there. I believe she knew exactly who she was putting her baby in the line of. And yes, it had risk to it because there is something in her that is hoping on the nurturing, mothering nature in another woman. But she placed him. She didn't hopelessly send her baby out into the world. There is a way that you can place your child. There is a way you can position your child. There is a way you can pray over them and speak over them and put them in the line of greatness and in the path of people with authority and of power and say, I have placed my child in a line that will propel them and that will launch them into their future. Jochebed is not a foolish woman. It says she took her child and she placed him in the reeds. She placed him there. And then she went home, probably to pray and intercede that this would be everything that she thought it would be because she's on a rescue mission. And then come in Miriam, his sister, the servant girls, and Pharaoh's daughter. Look what happens next. It said, as his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside her. And she saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her servant and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him. Can I say thank you to every woman who has mothered a child that you didn't give birth to, that destructive situations have brought into your life 
but when you saw them, you took pity. One translation says she had compassion for the child. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for your mother? This story right here, I tell you what, this is the story of five women. It is Miriam standing on the edge waiting and hiding. Miriam, I believe, is standing and waiting and hiding because it is safer for Miriam to be the one there. Miriam is more appropriately positioned to be the one who approaches Pharaoh's daughter if this plan goes how we think this plan will go. Women of God, sometimes it is the thing we have to do to step back from a situation and say, I want so badly to to be the one who's right there and I want so desperately to be the one who stands in the situation and I want so badly to be the one who sees her face to face but I feel like you are better positioned to be the one in this spot I feel like you are more appropriately prepared to be the one I feel like our chances of success are better if I remove myself and if I put you into the spot and Jacobet goes home and Miriam stays in waits because Miriam is more appropriately positioned to approach Pharaoh's daughter. And while Miriam sits there and waits, it says the baby is seen out there. And Pharaoh's daughter doesn't go after it. She sends her servant girls to go out and to get the basket and to bring it back. And these servant girls who have just a couple of lines in the story become the women who move the baby from the reeds onto the shore. They're the ones who move Moses I have to slow down. They move Moses from the place he was to the place he's going to be. They move him from a question. They move him from opportunity. They move him from what could be and what would be to the place that he has to be in, to the place that he's going to be in, to the place God intended him to grow in so he can be formed into who he is. Who are the women in your life who just for a brief moment, just for a couple of lines of your story, moved you from point A to point B? They spoke a word over your life. Their teachers and their counselors, their driving instructors, their professors, their aunts, they're those, those women who helped move your story. And without them, Moses is still stuck in the weeds and Miriam is still waiting and hoping, but they move him to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter takes him in. Pharaoh's daughter becomes the mother of a child who is unsafe growing up in the home he was born in, who comes from an environment that has become hostile to him, and she takes him in, and it says her heart has compassion on him, and so many of you are mothers, not because you birthed something, but because you had compassion, whether by legal means or by the means of your influence, you have had compassion on children who need your mothering spirit, who children who need... A mothering figure on those children who are growing up and needed you to wrap your arms around them and Pharaoh's daughter becomes that to Moses and these women are on a rescue mission and the story gets wild because then Miriam says, hey, I can go find somebody to nurse the baby for you if you want. And Pharaoh's daughter ends up paying Jochebed to nurse her own baby and to raise him until he's ready to be weaned and come back and to live in Pharaoh's house. Which, by the way, in this time would have been easily somewhere between two to four years old. 
So Moses basically goes home to be nursed and to be raised in some of the most formative imprinting years of his life in the house of his mother until he can be taken care of and moved into the castle. It is a wild story of women in their role and in their place on a rescue mission together. And this is the story of women throughout the years, throughout the times, throughout the ages of women who are working together, standing in their role, standing in their place. This is what women do time and time again as they come in and they step into a place and they step into a place and they are here on a mission to rescue. They are here on a mission to wrap their arms around those who are hurting and are desperate. They are here on a mission to see what they can do to move you from point A to point B. And it takes all of the women standing in their place. It takes all of the women playing their role. If even one of them would have faltered from the thing that God had spoken to them or had called them to be or the role or the place that they would have come to, then the rescue mission falls apart. This is the story of women working together to rescue a generation, to rescue our children, to stand in the gap, to stand for our cities, to stand for the things of God, to be courageous, to have a plan, to know who's the best woman for the job, to go and move people from point A to point B, to have compassion welling up on the inside of us time and time again. And our stories are scattered throughout scripture. Stories of women who worked together. Stories of women like Deborah and Yael who were sent to rescue on the battlefield. And each of them knew their role, and each of them held their place, and they went and they rescued their people. Stories of women like Ruth and Naomi who rescued each other in the midst of trial and of turmoil and of desperation. Stories of women like Mary and Martha who worked together for the thing God had called them to. Stories of women like Mary and Elizabeth who stood beside each other in these unexpected pregnancies. It's the story of what women do. We come into a space and it's better because you're there. You come into a space and you add what only you can add to it. You come into a space and the children around you, the story, this is the story of a rescue mission and of the kind of work that women do. Women who work in places that are seen and that are unseen. Women who work in the space where they are drawing those who are out and are desperate and are hurting into a This is the work of women for generation on generation. In the front field and in the back, in the hindsight, they are there rescuing time and time again. I was thinking yesterday as I gathered up water bottles in my house and I took them to fill them up, which is a habit that I have often. I am strangely passionate about hydration, strangely passionate about it. It can fix almost anything in your life. I am convinced of it. So if you're having issues, make sure you hydrate today. 
I was gathering out the bottles of water that we have in our house, five bottles, one for each person, and I was filling those bottles up. I probably do this a couple of times a day, each day, because I think there is something about making sure that my family has water when they need it and that they have access to it and that they are ready to be nourished. That is something that I want to do. This is part of my work in our house. And as I was filling up those water bottles so easily, from the water that comes straight from our fridge, I started thinking about the story of women who for centuries, it was their job and in many places today, it is still their women's work to go and to fetch water from a well. And I was thinking about how women nourish and care for their communities, how women make sure that those around them have water to drink, have food to eat, have somewhere to come home to, have someone to wrap their arms around them, have a soft place for a child who has scraped their knee, has a big hug for the adult child who has lost their job, how women are those who nourish and care for. And I think that it is this nourishing and this caring for that is why, even though it is such laborious work and such gruesome, grueling work to be the one to go out out beyond the perimeters of the village or of the town and go and fetch water and draw it up from a well and pull it out and carry it back into the village. Why this heavy, laborsome work, why it has often come under the work of women. Because there's something about water that nourishes our bodies and our souls and that we cannot live without, in the way that we cannot live without the mothers in our community. We cannot live without this water that feeds us. And there's a story about a woman who went to get water in the book of John, chapter 4, who is getting ready to have an encounter with Jesus. We're going to start looking in John 4 and chapter 6. It jumps in kind of to the middle of the story because Jesus and his boys are on a road trip moving from one town to another, and they just take a pit stop for a lunch break. And in John 4 and 6, it says it was Jacob's well that was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, that's midday, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus and this woman meet at a well in the middle of a day, and he says to her, can I have a drink of water? And she says, your people and my people do not associate. And then they go on to have a continuing conversation about water where she's talking about literal water that's coming from the well. And Jesus is talking about figurative water that springs up and brings life from the inside. And she's not really catching what he's trying to put down. And she's not really picking up the message that he's trying to give to her. And so finally, Jesus says to her in John 4 and 16, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right, I set you up, 
you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so the woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She said, mister, you just read my mail. You are exactly right. I have had five husbands and I am with someone now who is not my husband. It's an odd story to talk about on Mother's Day. It's an odd story to talk about on Mother's Day because this woman is not collaborating with the other women. She is not in partnership on a rescue mission with the other women from her town. She comes out in the middle of the day to do her well welling. I don't know what you do to get her water from the well. (laughs) To come get the water. It's not the time of the day that you come out to the well. It is the worst possible time to come to the well. It is the middle of the day. The sun is highest in the middle of the Middle Eastern heat. It is blazing on her. The only reason you would come in the middle of the day to go to the well is because you know for sure no one else is going to the well during this time frame. You ever have anywhere you go and the only reason you go there is because you know you're not going to run into anybody when you go there? You're like, oh, not today. Today I can't, I'm going to go to the far restaurant because nobody is going to be there. She said, oh, not this morning. I, this morning I don't have what it takes to go out in the morning and see the other women and talk to the other women and hear them talk about their babies and their husbands and their lives and look at me with a not today. I don't have it today, I'm going at midday. Because I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. And if I know, if I go in the middle of the day, nobody will bother me. She runs into Jesus. Reading her mail. And this is a woman who is carrying heaviness and brokenness. Besides the fact that we know that she clearly did not want to be part of the group that came out in the morning or the group that would come out in the evening that she chose to come by herself in the middle of the day, it says that she had had five husbands. Five husbands before. Now even today we would know that that means that you are carrying heartbreak along with you, but this is in a time and in a day that that was not the cultural norm, that getting a divorce was an extreme stigma on her character, and realistically, there are only two possible reasons that she would have either been divorced or had previous husbands that many times. One, they have all died, or two, she is unable to bear children. And her inability to bear children would have been considered a lawful and a reasonable reason in that time and in that era for her husband to divorce her and to send her on with a certificate of divorce. And it means one of two things. Either time and time again, she has faced the heartbreak of a husband dying to the point where she cannot even hope again. Or time and time again, she has been rejected by someone who said, if you cannot do this one 
thing, then you can't stay. This is a woman who is carrying with her heaviness and heartbreak and betrayal and loneliness and wondering and wondering, why have I gotten to this place? She is a woman who has carried loads on her back that she cannot carry and who has carried questions in her mind and in her heart that are too big and are too heavy for her. It's a woman who has built up defenses around herself in such a way that she says, I'm not trying to make friends with the other girls anymore. And I'm not trying to show up where they want me to show up anymore. I'm just trying to hold on to myself. And I'm just trying to hold on to my own sanity. And she's just walking in this place. And she finds herself wandering once again to the well. And she is in this place of turmoil. Are there any women who say there is something that I'm carrying that I know is too heavy? There is something that I'm holding on to that I know is too much for me. There is something that I've been grasping on and there's a hardness in my heart and there's a wall in my soul and I'm not sure how I've gotten to this place. Why talk about this woman who's not even married to the man that she's with and with all likelihood has absolutely no children in her life on Mother's Day? Why talk about this woman today? Because one question remains. These women who work together to rescue everyone around them and to care for everyone around them leaves one question. Who will rescue her? Who is coming to rescue the woman? I promise you, like this woman, you are carrying things that were not intended for you to carry. I promise you, like this woman, there comes an end of yourself and the burden is too much. I promise you, like this woman, you find yourself in the heat of the day, in the blazing sun, in the dryness of a desert season, and you cannot look to yourself to be your answer, and you cannot look to a partner to be your answer, and you cannot look to those children to be your answer, and you cannot look to your girlfriends to be your answer at the end of the the day at the end of all of those stories that we talked about before it was the goodness of God it was the faithfulness of God it was the everlasting hand of God at the end of all of those moments and of all of those stories the question remains but who came to rescue her look at what it says in 4 and 25 it says and the woman said to him I know that the Messiah is coming he who is called the Christ and when he comes he will tell us all things she had not lost hope in the midst of all that she had lost and in the midst of all that she was longing for and in the midst of all of her hurting she had not lost hope she said I know that the Messiah is coming and Jesus said to her I who speak to you am he I who speak to you and he she found out that the rescuer was standing in front of her the one who could tell her all about herself and saw her still the one who knew all about her story and loved her still the one who came to lift her heavy burdens the one who came to say let me wrap my loving arms around you the one who was perfect peace the one who was perfect comfort the one who came with every answer she'd been waiting for the one who came to say I am the truth and the life 
light and the way and the hope that you have been holding on to. I am the manifestation of that hope. There is no doubt in my mind that you are carrying burdens that are too heavy for you. There is no doubt in my mind that you are trying to rescue everyone around you and care for everyone around you. But at the end of the day, you are on a rescue mission, but you are not the rescuer. At the end of the day, he is the one who is the rescuer. He is the one who will show up in every story and in every situation, who is present in every moment. And so for the one who says this burden has gotten heavy, for the one who says I raised them better than the way they're acting, for the one who says I have prayed prayer on prayer, for the one who says my soul is weary and is longing, for the one who says, God, where are you in the midst of it? For the one who says, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. For the one who says, I wake up tired and I'm tired all day long. For the one who says, my shoulders feel slumped over. For the one who says, I don't know what else to do. For the one who says, I've been trying and I've been searching and I've been trying all of my own plans and all of my own rescuing. He sent me on a mission to meet you today in the spring of a living well and tell you the rescuer sees you and the rescuer loves you and the rescuer came for you and he calls you by name and he wants you to pour out